Em, can you believe we are in our third season of Interview Boss? Not really. It's crazy. But that means there are over 90 episodes we've made. (gasps) Oh my God. Scrolling through all of our episode titles, you might miss an episode that actually is exactly what you're looking for. Yes, we get so many messages of people asking us to do an episode on something and we're like, we already have. So we've put together playlists to help you find the episodes that are best suited to you. If you're applying for jobs, we have episodes about resumes, cover letters and job ads. If you've been offered your dream job, we have episodes on resigning, exit interviews and how to impress at your new company. Yes, and we even have a playlist for if you have an interview like tomorrow and you need just our most recommended episodes, just the ones you really need between now and then. Exactly. It is all there for you. You can browse by category. Check out the playlist at www.interviewboss.com.au forward slash podcast. Just remember that one of the most successful people I know, Sarah, started off as a sausage cooker. So dream big. (laughs) Sky's the limit. Official official job title. (laughs) Snag cooker. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I was. Hey everyone and welcome back to Interview Boss. My name's Emma, I'm a third year journalism student who's teamed up with my sister to give you advice, inspiration and support when you're looking for a new job. Sarah is a HR and recruitment professional and together we're excited to give you guys all the tips, tricks and behind the scenes knowledge to help you in your career. Today's episode is going to be the first episode of a brand new series that we've decided to create all about people's career stories. Now, the thought behind this is that we think it's really valuable to be able to sit down and listen to somebody's career story, all the ups and downs, you know, the the fails they've had, the successes they've had, the, how they transitioned, the trajectory, advice, all of that. So we're going to hopefully get on some really interesting people to talk about their different career stories, really cool, interesting people. But we thought, what better way to kick off this series than to delve into the career history of our very own HR top doggy, Sarah Smith. Sarah Smith. I said it weird before, sorry. How do you feel about this? Are you ready to be on the firing end of my questions? I'm a bit nervous, to be honest, Em. I don't know what to expect. You're a... um a pretty fierce interviewer, but I'm excited to share my career story. And let's talk about the person, you know, how I got to starting this podcast, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, you should not know what to expect because I don't know what to expect because we haven't planned this and I'm just gonna fly by the seat of my pants off this one. So let's get into it. Let's do it. So let's paint the picture. Little Sarah Smith living in young Tell us about your first job. Now, am I right or am I right? You worked at the Young Tennis Club cooking sausages on your I first did. job. That's where it all began. So That was that was my first job. I I cooked sausages humble, for humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah, the Fast Tennis Club. I cooked the sausages. I burnt myself on the barbecue so many times. Um mm. but yeah, that was my very first job and I got it because I was um in a tennis lesson and they said we're hiring someone I was 14 and nine months (laughs) so if you're a young listener listening to this with big dreams just remember that one of the most successful people I know Sarah started off as a sausage cooker so dream big (laughs) sky's the limit (laughs) 
Great. So <laughs> official job title. <laughs> Snag cooker. Did you put that on your resume? That's what what would you say the title was? Like what would you actually put that on for your next job? Kitchen hand, tennis club assistant, <laughs> or something like that. What? Yeah. <laughs> that is such a glorified way of writing sausage cooker. I did take money for people's <laughs> tennis fees, uh. and I got them lollies from the canteen. <laughs> oh my god, that's too good. Okay, so that's where it all began. You know, some really good foundations were laid there at the tennis club, and then you worked at Target, Target. How was that? Target, but not not just regular Target. It was Target country mm. because we were in a small country town. And funnily enough, everyone at the time was all getting their jobs and a heap of people went to work at McDonald's because exciting news, McDonald's had opened for the first time in Young. That's how old that wow. was. Um, but I, mum actually made me apply on the Target, like, national website as an expression of interest thing Um, and there were no jobs open at the time um, in the local store but she made me go through like the proper channels and I got a call like a couple of months later Um, and yeah started working at Target Country. (laughs) So exciting. I used to do shifts after work and on the weekends. Incredible. So we've taken a leap from sausage cooker extraordinaire to retail worker extraordinaire And then we transition, what, fast forward like six more years or something and you move away. Oh, no, no, we can't can't miss that. You had a gap year and you worked as a business administration assistant in a law firm. Stop it. Tell us about that. Yep, absolutely. So um, all all you country people out there would know that you have to become independent from mum and dad to get youth allowance when you're moving away to go to uni. So that was the way that I became independent was to work for a year. It wasn't a fun Europe gap year. It was a working one. Um, and I got a traineeship at Gordon Garling Moffat Law Firm. Um, and <laughs> Shout I out to Eris. wills for safe custody. <laughs> yep. I used to have to go to the council. I opened the mail. I made the cups of teas and coffees in the morning. I got really good oh, at walking. The, the absolute shit coffee. kicker. You were the shit kicker. <laughs> yep. Yep, I was. And also, was. And they still wasn't the pay like fucking 10 bucks an hour or something horrific? I know no, it, was it was because... It was all right. No, it wasn't because you know how I know? Because I went for that same job and in my gap year I got another um, traineeship, same thing, business administration, and I had a friend that worked that had the job you had. So we had, it was like two friends having traineeships. And when I went in for my little interview, they were like, now, not interview, my interview after I'd got the job, they're like, now the pay is set at $10 because it's trainee wage. It's just so bad. But we understand that's peanut money. So we're going to give you like 15. They were so generous. They gave me a big pay rise before I even started. But my friend (laughs) was not so lucky. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't 10, maybe it was 12 or something, but it was absolute horrific money. Yeah, I mean, it was a full-time wage and I got a qualification out of it. So the money wasn't really the big deal. I mean, I was saving to go to uni, but the big thing was becoming independent and getting a job for a whole year in a country town was pretty tricky. And so I was so grateful to just have something locked in for that year. Um, And something as well that was going to give me office experience as opposed to, you know, working in retail for another year, which I felt like could have done, but... I'd already kind of ticked that box and had that experience. It's good to upskill, definitely. Cool. So we have the gap year and then little country town, Sarah, little small 
18-year-old Sarah. What, you Wait, did, you would have moved. Oh, no, you would have turned 18. Sorry. You, I was going to say you were a year younger. Did you move away when you were still 17? But you would have just turned 18 and moved. Yeah, that was a bonus of the gap year as I had time to turn 18. Um, you couldn't have gone yeah, otherwise. You, go you would have been 17. 17. No, you are a baby yeah. then. Wow. You can't do O week at 17. No. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you moved to ANU where you study psychology. Tell us about you studying psychology. Were you always set on wanting to study that? Was it, did you chop and change last minute? How, how, what, yeah, what kind of sparked the interest in thinking that that might have been a career path? Such a good question. And I love this one because I was never that person that had like a thing that they were passionate about. I feel like a lot of, you know, people around me and my friends at high school had a thing. They were like the person that was really into ag and agriculture or the person that was really into, you know, PDHPE and that was their, you know, big passion. I did like a bit of English. I really liked that. I loved maths. I loved science. Ew. I kind of loved a bit of everything. Yeah. For a long time, I thought I was going to study engineering because I was doing all the maths and science and that kind of made sense. But what I what I ended up doing is going to the National Youth Science Forum, um, science camp. <laughs> nerd camp. You went to nerd it. camp. <laughs> I did. I did. And I was in the engineering group and that was designed to give you a taste of what it might be like to have a career in engineering. And the main thing that I took away from that experience, it was life-changing experience, opened my eyes to a whole other world out there. But one of the things that I took away was that I definitely didn't want to be an engineer <laughs> because as much as I was, you know, I could do the maths and I enjoyed the science, it wasn't something that I really enjoyed doing. I was good at it, but I didn't necessarily... It didn't set your soul on fire. Exactly, yeah. So I actually had um, the same teacher for chemistry and physics and also like homeroom or like PC or whatever you want to call it. So we spent a lot of time together. Hang on, hang on. Who was this? Who was this? Give him a plug. This is Dr. Berg. Dr. Berg. So if you're out there... Love you, Dr. Berg. Dr. Berg. Yeah, huge inspiration um, because I was always the person in class that would be like, oh, I wonder why they call it that or I wonder why that happened or, um, you know, asking things about Inquisitive, spelling, curious. From. And, yeah, and and distracting sometimes <laughs> to the rest of the class with my, with my tangents. But I always really liked like presenting to the class and things like that. And he actually gave everyone in the, like all of his graduating year 12s, a book at the end of class and a different science book, essentially. And they were brand new books or whatever was out at the time. But for me, because I had him for two classes, I got two books, but they were actually secondhand books that he'd found at a bookstore. And one was about like the history of the English language. So fascinating. But the other was uh, an Oliver Sacks book, which is all about basically psychology and really interesting patients this person had had over his career in neuropsychology. Wow. And it's fascinating that he obviously picked up that that was something that I was interested in based on all the random conversations that I used to have. Before you even really knew for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, putting in my preferences and things, I'd put in um, a couple of general sciences. I knew I wanted to go to ANU because it was close to home. I liked the campus and I'd also been there for my science camp. So I was a bit familiar with it. Nerd camp. And 
psychology was a bit of a last minute change. I think partly because of that book, partly because I was a bit fascinated by people and how they worked. And it felt like a good option to start out with something I felt I found interesting. And I was when I was looking at the actual names of the courses, you know, criminal psychology, psychology and the law, abnormal psychology, I was like, oh, oh, what's that going to be all about? Yeah. And they were fascinating to me. And I think that's a good indication if you're excited by the names of the courses that you're going to be doing in year two and year three, that's a good sign that you're, you're picking the right degree. And so, yeah, I, I set my mind on that and I absolutely loved that degree. It was awesome. So that's sort of how you got to thinking you were going to do psychology. The first sort of couple of weeks where you're getting the taste of it, you're sitting in the lecture theatres, were you just like sitting in there like this is it or were you a bit like, oh, still not sure and it, it grew on you and then you were like, yes, this is what I want to do. Was it instant or did it take you a little while to get there? I knew I was really liking the content. I still didn't know what I was going to do at the end for a job. I don't really know if I want to be a psychologist. That wasn't what I went into the degree thinking, but I was loving the content. Like I was the person, you know, in a study room talking to my friends. Sorry. (laughs) Continue. I was the person in a study room talking to my friends going, oh my God, did you know that the eye works like this and the brain works like this and you can have this disease go wrong? I had no idea what was next in terms of like, what was this degree going to get me? but I was loving the content. But you were always enjoying it. Yeah. And that was enough for me at the time. Um, I, I feel like I'm the kind of person I would get sick of something if I had it all mapped out for the rest of my life, I'd then get sick of it and want to do something else. So I like, I like the idea of each time you have a decision to make, you don't have to think 10 steps ahead. You just have to think about that one decision. What, what degree do you want to do? You don't have to think about what job do you want to do for the rest of your life? Just what degree are you going to enjoy the most for now? And cool, that's the one. Right, do that. And then when you get to the next step, you choose the next decision. Definitely. And what great advice. Cool. So you made your way through. You got, you graduated with honours. What a flex. What did you do your thesis on and where did that come from? So my thesis was social psychology. Um, this kind of came about because I had done like an elective topic with a particular lecturer and I really liked his area of study, which is social psychology. I had a good relationship with him and and one of the big things with your honours project, you can either choose based on the topic that you're most interested in, but you might have a supervisor that you don't really get along with or that's not super supportive. So some people make the choice to go via the supervisor who's going to be really supportive, even if it's not necessarily what you want to be studying. For, for the people that don't know, when you're writing a thesis in honours, it's no classes or whatever. You're just working on this piece of work the whole year, constantly handing in new drafts every five seconds to the supervisor, working super closely. Just for some context, keep going. You still do some coursework, um, but yeah, you've got a 10,000 word um, document, essentially research that you need to complete by the end of the year. Um, so it's one long project, which to be honest, I hate, which I really didn't. Let me give you some credit because, oh my God, 10,000 words, the amount of references you need for that. And referencing Mm. sucks. Even when I'm doing like a little pissy 1000 word essay, you know, when sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know who said it. I said it like, but obviously they don't care what you said. So sometimes like you want to write something and then go hunting to find if someone's ever said what you said, you do it backwards, which is definitely yeah, a hypothetical and I've never done that before, but you wouldn't be able to do that. I was talking to someone recently and they were talking about um, 
What's the referencing software that you use that helps you do it? Mm. Oh, I can't think of the name of it. Anyway, someone someone will um, comment in the Facebook group what the referencing thing is. That hadn't really been invented yet. It was like this really glitchy add-on that you put on your Microsoft Word and sometimes it would delete things mm. on you. Um, so I was still doing a lot of it manually, like making sure you had the full stops in the right place Ugh. and the commas for the author's Disgusting. name. Disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. But what that honours year taught me is that I really didn't like research. And so that was helpful information for me making my next decision in that year of like, what the hell am I going to do after I finish my honours year? Because a lot of people stayed on to do further study so that they could become a clinical psychologist. Yeah. But I knew I hate research. I've just learnt that this year. I really didn't enjoy doing that. Getting participants for your research study, like analysing the data, Ugh. working vomit by yourself as an academic it just it's not it's not my life I'd love to be a lecturer but not a researcher but wait circle back we need to circle back um we didn't talk about what you wrote it about oh yes um so it was all about the concept of um that people always want to have a say on things people love sharing their opinion and putting their input into things and it's called the voice effect essentially where if you allow someone to give their opinion on something before you make a decision, even if you say to them, hey, Emma, I'm going to make a decision about, you know, whether you're allowed to come to this party or not, but I'm not going to listen to what you say, but I'm just going to let you say something before I decide, right? I'm not going to listen to what you, I've already made up my mind, but I'm just going to let you speak. If I do that, you're more likely to respect the decision, to agree with it, to respect me and the organisation that I'm a part of, like whether that's a school or a um, university or a workplace or whatever. So this idea of asking people their opinion has all these positive effects and people get really upset if you say, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to let you weigh in. Mm. They get really angry. They disrespect you. They don't listen to your decision. Um, And it's this really fascinating, strong effect. And essentially what I was trying to do is reverse it and say that, it only really mattered if you cared about the subject. Like if you didn't care about something, maybe you wouldn't really care about having a say on it. Like, you know, what colour are the plastic bags going to be at the supermarket or whatever. Like if you really didn't care, maybe you wouldn't care to vote. Unfortunately, it was wrong. I couldn't reverse it. The the effect was too strong. People always want to have a say. So really interesting um, implications looking back now for the workplace and asking employees what they think about things, consulting with them on changes. So yeah, it turns out it has a lot to do with um, the area I'm working in now. Amazing. Now, when you graduated, what year was that? Uh, 2014. Cool. So it's 20. Oh my God. I was like 13 then. Wow. Um, (laughs) Okay. So it's 2014. You're a fresh graduate. Does the panic set in in that initial period where you've finished uni, your Centrelink gets cut off because you aren't a student anymore, you're applying for jobs? Like was that period stressful for you or did you have a bit of a back yourself? No, it was stressful. Yeah. I mean, so stressful. So during that year being in Canberra, most people are going into government grad jobs. That's just kind of what you do in Canberra. Anyone from Canberra? Yeah. Exactly what I'm talking about. And all the grad job applications open in like March, like of the honours year, right? 
I wasn't thinking about that back then at all. So I'd missed most of the applications. And then it wasn't until kind of mid-year that other people were talking about the interview processes they were going through. And I was panicking, being like, oh, what government department do I want to work for? Like the AFP, oh, that's already closed. Oh, the Department of Social Services, they do, they run Centrelink. I was like, oh, I mean, maybe. So I applied for a grad job there, had to go to an assessment centre, was late for the assessment centre. My heart wasn't in it. I was like, I I don't really want to work for a government department. That just wasn't, just wasn't really my calling. Um, Quickly, while you were in this limbo phase of applying for jobs, you still had your little casual jobs at Jeans West, was it? Yeah, I... I was always a bit of a, a freak that always had multiple jobs um, throughout uni because I had to pay for my life. Um, so I did heaps of things. I worked at a bar once. I didn't like that. Retail's always been my thing. I worked at Jeans West. That was great fun. Um, I did um, tutoring. I was a tutor for my uh, for first year students. Like I ran like a tutorial class do you know um, what's so funny when I was a kid as I said when you graduated I was like what 13 like there's a big age gap between us and I remember when you started doing that and I and (laughs) and I was like oh yeah Sarah's tutoring and like my naive little brain until this year I realized what tutoring like uni like my tutorer you were one of them I thought you were running tutoring like helping kids with their maths like primary school kids that's my this whole time I thought that you were tutoring and then until honestly I think I had the epiphany a couple weeks ago when I was like oh my god she was tutoring while she was at uni as in my tutors at uni like oh my god I'm yeah wow makes a lot of sense anyway I did the other kind of tutoring when I was at high school as well but yeah I was a tutor um I also did like a science communication like education outreach program it was called the ANU region, ANU regional, regional partnerships program. And it was basically going into um, regional areas, delivering science programs. So we did like a forensic program. We went to Young. We went yeah, to I remember Kuma. when you came to our school. Yeah. And that was really fun. And that was a volunteer thing to begin with. And that ended up turning into um, being paid occasionally to help out with that, um, which was really cool. And then that kind of made me feel like I wanted to work at Questacon. So <laughs> that will come back. That will come back later when I talk about Questacon. Um, but yeah, so that science communication thing I really enjoyed. Um, what else? What other jobs did I have? Oh, I was a um, a resident advisor, an RA. You know, the person that yeah. like lets you in your room when you're locked out at night. I did overnight shifts. So I would come home from Jeans West, having worked there all day. And I would come home at five o'clock. I'd just make it in time to get the keys and I'd be on duty all night as an RA. So if someone called at 2am and they'd lock themselves out of their room, I'd have to wake up, get out of bed, go and let them in. Like I had my phone on. I had to be wearing my uniform in bed. Oh my so God. Quickly get out of bed. Oh man. Oh, and they paid you for the first three hours. You did hourly rounds around the building to check that there was, I don't know, nothing wrong or whatever. 
and then you had to respond to fire alarms and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I had all kinds of jobs cool. um, throughout uni. This low, just realising how like unchronological this is, we're a bit jumpy. But anyway, got the, we have the childhood jobs, that you've moved away, you uni, we've talked about that. You have the jobs that you had at uni. But back to that period when you first graduated, you were applying, you had kind of missed all of the government kind of things, came to the realisation like, mm, heart's not in it, I don't really want to do this. Is that where the epiphany came that you could do you know, work for private businesses or NGOs? Like, is that where you sort of had the moment of like, ah, just because I live in Canberra doesn't mean I have to work in public service. I liked the idea of the, the research that I'd done that year about the corporate world and asking employees for their say had kind of made me interested in like working in a business. Um, I didn't really know what that looked like, but I saw an ad for, um, to be a recruiter and a recruitment consultant. And I was like, what does that mean? Um, and there are actually two jobs um, that I went through the process of. One was like a job active provider, recruitment assistant type person. So someone that you would see if you were unemployed and receiving unemployment benefits and they would help you get back into the workforce essentially. Um, so that was one of them. And then I also um, went for a job at Hayes, um, which was a recruitment agency. And I didn't really understand what a recruitment consultant did because I'd never been in the corporate world. And so I saw the ad and it had a number to call if you want more information. And I was like, I don't understand what this job is. Like, how does this work? Um, so I called up and said, hey, I just want some more information about what this job is. Um and ended up going through the process with that job. And I had two offers in the end. Wow. Um, I got an offer from the job active provider and I also got an offer from Hayes. And we'll have to do an episode on this one day, but I actually used the offer from the job active provider because I had that one first. And I said to Hayes, look, I've got this other offer. I need to let them know by Friday. So, you know, you need to let me know if you want me by Friday as well so that I can choose. And it worked really well because that was kind of a sales job that they were looking for. And I'd done a pretty good job of negotiating, I guess. And so they thought, oh, cool, she can negotiate. She can um, hold her own. So I ended up taking ended up taking the Hayes job. Yeah. So I was a recruitment consultant in an agency. How long was this after you graduated? So that was during while I was still doing my um, honours. So I hadn't graduated yet. So I got the job and I locked it in. I locked it in for like the week after I finished uni um, and I actually had to have a day off work to go to my graduation ceremony. That's how soon after it was. I had no time off. Well, you moved fast. People listening are probably going to be annoyed because you just said like what a stressful time it was, that period of not like having finished and not having a job, but that period didn't exist. You perfectly seamlessly transitioned. You are the ideal graduate. You were not stuck in the... Graduate everyone unemployed else, loophole. Ha, so. Everyone else had jobs way earlier than that though because, again, it was, a, it was a government world and government jobs gave out offers like, I don't know, like August, September for the following I year. I suppose. Yeah. Context is important. Okay. You were late in the scheme of things but you still did pretty well in a in a environment where there's usually a huge influx of graduates and not many jobs. You did well. You secured a job pretty soon. So you've got your first job. How do you think uni prepared you? Do you think you were in there being like, oh, my degree is brilliant? Or were you like, holy fucking shit, I know nothing. And uni really doesn't prepare you in that sense for the kind of things you're going to learn every day in the workforce. Mm. My work experience prepared me. So 
Jeans West being in sales helped me. Um, my business administration traineeship from the law firm helped me from being like office environment type thing. Um, and actually I, I was pretty nervous going into that role because I thought I've always been someone who like being good at school is kind of my thing. And that was kind of my thing up until then. I was good at school, good at uni, like being academic. And I thought, what if this doesn't translate? Like, what if I'm not actually a good employee? What if I'm a, just a good mm. learner <laughs> and it's not going to actually translate into the workplace? Definitely. So what kind of things were you doing in this new job? Uh, so that job, I it's a recruitment agency. So we'll have an episode on um, in the future about what a recruitment agency is and how they, how they work. But essentially a huge part of the job is sales. So you call up businesses and say, hey, Mr. Simpson, you run a plumbing company or whatever. You need admin people. I've got the perfect admin person for you. And if you pay me a fee, I'll send them to you. So you don't have to do any of the recruitment. I'll find the right person for you. So it's essentially offering a recruitment service to a business. But in order to get jobs to work on, you have to cold call businesses in order to get mm. that work. So there's a lot of cold calling. Literally Which for could two- be pretty confronting. Yeah. Cold calling, yeah. I imagine, sucks, especially being fresh out of uni. And like when I first started my yeah. business administration thing, I hated our office was so small. Like my desk is right next to someone and having to call someone up like I the first couple of times, it's like, can you go out of the room? Like, well, don't listen to me. And then... <laughs> like a couple of weeks in, you'll call anyone and everyone, but like phone yeah. anxiety is real. That would have been tough. Calling people, like calling candidates to talk to them was like always pretty easy, but calling businesses because you kind of like when someone says, oh no, you know, we're all good. We're all sorted. You can't just be like, okay, bye. Like you're meant to treat that as an objection and sell back to them. And for people who work in sales, I take my hat off to you because this does not come naturally to me and I didn't like it with every fibre of my being pushing against what someone is telling you on the phone and calling them again the next day when they, you know, and and tricking the receptionist to put you through to the person you want to talk to. Like some of those techniques that, that we were taught to do and the objection handling or whatever, I just didn't like it. And I think when you don't believe in what you're doing in that environment, it becomes really hard. And so... The people who did it well were like, I know I can help you. And it came across really authentic when they were when they were confident um, in what they were doing, whereas I wasn't confident and so it didn't come across well. I wasn't good at, at any of that part of the job. I think that's good for people to hear because there's probably elements of every job that people really struggle with and don't like, but they still might want to be in that field or career. So that's good to know. It's totally okay to not be really great at some things or enjoy it or stand for it, but it's part of the job description. You've kind of got to get on with it. Now, interestingly, let's move to the end of this first job because I believe you have a story to tell about how that ended. Yeah. So as, as I said, I did not, I'm not a great salesperson. Don't hire me to sell things. I can, I can, tell someone why something is good but I can't push it on them does that make yep. sense it's like um in Je- at Jeans West and someone's looking for a new pair of jeans and they were like Sarah which ones easy I was like oh what about this what about this and you know the little upsells and the suggestions easy trying to sell something to someone that they didn't necessarily when they don't want, come in looking yeah. for it that was really hard like that that um outbound sales approach um and I 
you know, the, a big part of that role is meant to be commission. So you've got a really low base salary and you're meant to earn all this money from commission, from placing people in jobs and getting paid by the company. And I earned like, I earned zero dollars in commission for five months that I was there. And you're meant to be starting to earn commission by your fourth month. I think that's what they kind of say. So in month number five, I had all sorts of personal stuff going on outside of work. And that led to me like just not having my head in the game as well. So I wasn't necessarily pushing as much as I should have. Um, but also like the job just wasn't right for me. Right. Um, but I, I didn't see that at the time. I thought, I thought I was spit it out. What happened? I had my probation failed. They brought me in five months. They said, Sarah, it's not working out. We're going to let you go. And for anyone who's been in that situation and I, I've had to be deliver some of those meetings, you get a week's notice and that's it. Um, I bawled my eyes out in that office. I was devastated because it's the first time that I had really As you would failed be, yeah. at something. Which, I mean, is yeah a privilege that you only – it took you that long to fail at something. But, yeah, would have been would have been a blow, especially that first grad job. I think, like, you would have been so – everyone is so relieved to get that first grad job and their dream little fantasy of how, oh, I'll finish uni, got my first job. Mm. Nobody really expects it to come crashing down like that. That is rough. And so you, you obviously probably had your little pity party. Yeah. How long before you were like, right, what's next? How long before you were in the next job? Um, I spent two weeks back back in my hometown, back in Young, like moping around the house, being miserable, not knowing what I was going to do with my life, throwing a little pity party, just like you said. Yeah. And that's when I started thinking, right, what do I want to do next? Um, what are the other options? And I applied for Questacon because I loved the science <laughs> communication part of things. Loved that. But I also got in touch with my colleagues who I'd just literally left at Hayes and they actually said, look, Sarah, we like you as a person. Like you're really friendly and you're good at your admin and all these other things. You're just like never going to be a salesperson. So they reached out to me and said that they might have a job for me as well with a business that they were working with. And so I went for some interviews there and I got offered a job to join a not-for-profit called Communities at Work and that was through Hayes. So my old colleagues networking don't job. burn your bridges our last episode yeah. go listen yeah exactly so that was um that was a really cool result and after I'd done two weeks in that new job I got a call from Questacon asking me if I wanted to come in for an interview oh too late Questacon <laughs> too, late. <laughs> too late imagine imagine how yeah. different your life would be if you had got that job I know I know like, totally different imagine. career path yeah absolutely um, Government processes cool. move so, very slowly. So you've got this new job. How long do you stay in that job? Uh, oh, you're testing me now. Um, I think two and a bit years or something like that. I had a really amazing boss, Steve. I give a shout out to him who really took me under his wing and taught me a lot. So I came in doing admin, kind of HR admin coordination. I did a bit of recruitment for them as well. Um, I was doing all sorts of stuff, just assisting with things putting some systems in place, you know, folder, organisation, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and really, really enjoyed recruiting for centre managers. And again, I was doing the recruitment side, but I hadn't, didn't have to do any sales. Um, Perfect. So I was using all those good skills. Yeah. Um, and I ended up getting promoted there a couple of times, which was amazing. I was managing a team all of a sudden. Um, I set up a brand new team, um, which was recruitment and rostering. I was managing five people by the end of that job. So that was an incredible experience. And I, I felt like, oh my God, I 
can be valuable in a workplace and all these skills that I've got and all the things that I'm good at. It's the confidence came back. It, yeah, absolutely. And it came naturally to me as well. I wasn't fighting against my instincts like I was in agency. And what made this job come to an end? What were you offered next? Why did you leave? Um, I moved to Sydney. So I was following a boy at the time, as you do, <sighs> who moved to Sydney and that's why I wanted to move. And um, I wouldn't have chosen Sydney had it not been for that. So I guess shout out for getting me to choose Sydney. And I got a job at the winning group. So I actually went through a recruitment agency because I knew how much value they could add. And I found a really good recruiter in Sydney. I met with him. So I had to come all the way to Sydney to meet with him in person. That's one of my tips. Always meet the person face to face if you can. And shout out to Chris. He was a really awesome HR recruiter at the time. And he placed me at the winning group in a recruitment job there. Now, your job at at winning, you could say was kind of where you, I don't want to say you peaked, but like that you were kind of doing the most senior stuff there that you had compared to your other jobs. Did you have a moment, like was there a defining moment where you were like, oh, this is really a career? Like up until then we just kind of in and out of jobs, figuring it out. What was the, what was the defining moment where you were like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to keep climbing. Like I've made it. Where was that moment? I kind of went into winning because um, I'd been running a team and I kind of went in just being a recruiter again. So I knew that I had to kind of take a step back in order to, you know, move to Sydney. And, you know, to make that location change, I was having to kind of start from the bottom again, I guess. And what made me realise that it was a career, as you say, is it wasn't a fluke that I got, I had gotten promoted in the last role. It was nice to kind of start again and have someone go, oh, you could actually do more. And I got my job title changed. I got promoted. I took on more of an HR generalist role instead of just the recruitment. Rotated around different areas of the business, supporting different areas as a business partner. And then when we didn't have a head of, I was kind of like the last one left almost and was essentially running the function for six months. Um, was promoted again to manager. So yeah, that's that's kind of when I realized, you know, you can really build a career by doing awesome work. And I've always been a big believer that you'd put in the hard work first and you, you do the job of the person above you kind of thing. And then you get the title afterwards, you get the recognition and the pay increase afterwards. But if you put in the work up front to act above what you're already doing, that's always really paid off for me in the long run. Amazing. And then switch to currently now your position. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I spent Three and a half years um, with the winning group. Loved it. It was a huge part of my career and I got so many opportunities there. But I eventually reached a point where, you know, I wanted a bit a bit of variety, something different, another different business. I wanted something, you know, a bit of a change. So um, I'm currently an HR business partner at Under Armour. So it's a standalone role. So I'm the only HR person in Australia. And there's support in the region, in South APAC, but it's a global business. So you've got people in the US, you've got people in Singapore that I deal with a lot, in Hong Kong. Wow. And yeah, really interesting, different environment versus... Mrs. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. And being a part of like a leadership team as well at winning as much as I'd been, you know, promoted and been a manager and that kind of thing, the executive team and the leadership team was like, it was a really big business. So that was quite a tight group of people. Whereas Under Armour is quite small in Australia. And in terms of the corporate team, I'm one of the key people in the leadership team, which has been really, really cool to be 
part of the decision-making process. You're in the loop on everything as it comes down locally. Um, and yeah, absolutely the right move for my career. Awesome. Now um, I'm going to ask, I have a couple more questions, but just give succinct answers because we're already at 41 mins and that's too long. So um, great. And that brings us to interview boss. This is the next move in your career, I guess you could say, while we may be a little on a humble little starting journey at the moment, big things are coming and this will blossom into <laughs> something great. Tell us about your your vision for interview boss. Ideally, where you're hoping to take that and your inspiration behind that. Good question. Um, I have always enjoyed helping people with their career and I think there's a lot of times where I've had lots of people apply for jobs or I've been talking to a candidate and I can't help them because my job is to find someone for that role and that person's not right, I have to move on. So I haven't been able to spend that time helping people and I've always enjoyed teaching, you know, the tutoring and um, the other kind of tutoring back from my history. So this is kind of a great combination of both of those things. And at the moment, it's something I do on the side. I still have my full-time job and I can't see that changing anytime soon in the immediate future. But maybe one day, this is something I could do full-time and help people with interview preparation, writing their resume, giving them advice, even situations like what to do when you've just been told that you might be being made redundant. Those can be really scary situations and I've been on the other side of that and I've delivered those conversations so I can help people navigate what's going to happen next. How do I get the best outcome here? Yeah, so maybe one day that's what I'll be doing full time. Incredible. So it's nice to see the progression because, I mean, it's a bit unexpected. We started off with, you know, potential engineer and we've ended up in Under Armour Global HR Partner. Like, it's amazing. And yeah, I think that's really, it's really nice for people to, to I don't know, be able to hear how things have progressed because it's not always linear and you do have some setbacks. I mean, you tried sales, wasn't for you, but you keep yeah. climbing. And, and also, now you're here, like on a podcast. And also the fact that I'm working in HR for a retailer and retail is where I worked when I was at uni. And yeah, at Target, it's a full circle. I've always yes. enjoyed working in retail and the winning group was retail and Under Armour has been retail as well. So the retail thread is not one that I expected to have pop out in my career, but there it is. Here Apparently it is. Apparently I'm a retail girl. It's part of the story. Now, just to tie it in nicely, tie it off, finish it off with some lovely little fast questions. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever been given? Mm, I think it would definitely be um, the quote that we shared in a previous episode, that decisions about your career will be made in rooms that you're not in. So you've got to create champions. And I'm a big believer that those champions can come from unexpected places. So that might be some friendships that you make, um, someone that you impress. I always take the opportunity if it's someone new that I'm working with, reply to their email really thoroughly because that's going to be their impression of you. They've never had anything to do with you before. Create, Take the opportunity to create that person as a champion. One day they might sit in a room and someone might say, we need someone to manage this team. Who are we going to give it to? And they might go, oh, what about Sarah? And that's genuinely happened. And I think it's a huge piece of advice for someone out there working on their career. And you gave good tips before about making just the decision, the next decision that's coming. I'm not getting too far ahead, but how can people work out where they want to be apart from just trying to focus on the next step? Yeah. What do you think it is? Do they need to look out for what they're good for? Do they need to be trying lots of different things in their spare time? Like how can we 
I guess in order to make that next step, you have to have some kind of idea. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you know what's next? Um, self-awareness. Coming from the psych, the psych grad, I think learning about yourself. If you have to, go out there and do a ton of free online personality profiles. Figure out your Myers-Briggs. I mean, they're all statistically invalid, right? Just as an FYI. But if they help you understand what you're good at and what your strengths are and what comes naturally to you, do some brainstorming as well. What are all the things that I've always enjoyed? I always love teaching people. I used to pretend to play teachers when I was a kid. So teaching people things is always something I've enjoyed, but you don't have to be super logical with that. Like I didn't have to become a teacher, but as part of HR, you've got learning and development and you run training sessions for people in corporate environments. So that's something that has been a theme that I've been aware of. I really enjoy being able to teach people about things. So self-awareness is the key to know what's next for you. Learn about yourself. Ask other people, hey, what am I really good at? Like, and you've always been the super witty one in Out of Us Three Sisters, the one who's like the funniest, the sense of humor kind of thing. But you early on would not necessarily have said that about yourself. And I think sometimes you have to ask the people closest mm. to you to tell you, hey, what's my thing? What am I known for? Or what would you come to me for? That's true. It's often easier to point out those things in others than yeah. yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So talk to your friends and family. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps up the episode. Yeah. We hope it was valuable because it's so important to just be able to dive into people's careers. We look at these big people with amazing jobs and think, wow, how can we ever get there? But I mean, when you dive into these segments, we figure out they're just like us. She was a sausage cooker. She was at the tennis club. She was a, at Target. She was doing bits and bobs. She got fired from her first job. She has gone through yeah. the exact same things that everyone goes through. These people we look up to, they're not invincible. They're not top dogs that have just had a heap of luck. It's not flukes. They're, they've moved up because they're hard workers and because... It's not, yeah, it's not a fluke. They've consistently got there with hard work and you can too. So we hope you enjoy this yeah. new little segment. We're hoping to make these a regular thing, get some really cool guests on for you guys. But yeah, I mean, it seems pretty fitting to quiz the career expert herself on her career. That just wouldn't be fair if we, if we started these segments with another guest first. So that's it. Did you enjoy being interviewed by me? I did. Thank you so much. It was awesome. And I look forward no to worries. interviewing. It's pretty good for no preparation. <laughs> it kind of helps that I lived with you and I, I know what you've been doing for the past 29 <laughs> years. Jokes. How, how The past 21 years because I'm only, <laughs> That's how old I am. Blah, blah, I'm rambling. Okay. Bye. We'll be in your... Blah, blah. We'll be back in your ears next week. See ya. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Interview Boss. If you want to hear more from us, make sure you hit subscribe. We're a new podcast, so if you liked this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review so we can help even more people. For more advice, inspiration, and a supportive community, join us in the Interview Boss Facebook group. We've been your job search besties and helped you in some way. There's a cool way you can support the show. Shout us a virtual coffee. We get a huge kick out of reading all of your success stories. Head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash interview boss and shout us a cuppa. If you keep us caffeinated, we can keep the content coming. <laughs>